here's a conundrum for you. Uh, what is an old-growth native Australian forest? What is it but, but a young one plus time? So by that logic, isn't any logging of native forest old-growth logging? In Victoria's central highlands on the northern fringe of Melbourne, mountain ash forests as old as 400 years are growing. Do we keep them or cut them down for chips and packing pallets? That's the question, and an increasingly urgent one. Lachlan McBurney is an Australian National University scientist, co-author of Mountain Ash, Fire Logging and the Future of Victoria's Giant Forests. And he took me for a forest wander. So where are we headed? So we're heading up from Healesville, up Myers Creek Road, heading towards Talangi. And from there? We'll head up Mount St Leonard Fire Tower, up a track called the Monda Track, which is an old fire break that was put in in the 1940s. Describe the forest we're going through. So we've just left hills when we're climbing steadily up and we've just reached um, the first patches of mountain ash so as we climb in elevation up and out of Hillsville once you get to about six or seven hundred meters elevation you start getting the beautiful tall wet forest which is eucalyptus regnans so the mountain ash forest of Victoria. They're a beautiful tree. They're amazing so tallest flowering plant in the world can live to three four hundred years old and what are these ones we're seeing? What sort of age? So they'd be 80, 90 years old, those ones. So some of that would be regrowth from the 1939 bushfires. Yeah, and the impression you get, you know, with someone just driving up here from the city, it's all oh, this beautiful old forest. It is. They look quite impressive. Tall, straight trunks reaching for the sky. But a lot of what we see very close to Melbourne is regrowth forest. So these are still teenagers and still growing quite rapidly. So yeah, they can grow at a metre a year for the first 30 years of their life. So very fast growing native hardwoods. So off the bitumen now into the Tlangi State Forest. That's right. So heading up towards Manson Leonard Fire Tower. So most of the drive from now is going to be through Mountain Ash Forest just because we're that high. We'll stick in that, that one elevation. So Mountain ash tends to grow predominantly as a single species stand, whereas down in the foothills you get mixed species, which has got all mm. sorts of stringy barks and... Which gives the mountain ash forest that, that sense of being in this... The word that I always get is cathedral, you know, it's like the, a, a big built structure. It's so tall, it's vaulted and it's inspiring. It is, and when the tall straight trunks are all lined up along the side of the road you get these these amazing sort of cathedral-like corridors you're right old is such a sort of a key word when we're talking about forests but it's a maybe not a readily understood word in a lot of ways you know what is old what is an old forest that's right and what is the next old so where are we where are we recruiting our next old growth forest into this system. You can't magic one that's suddenly 300 years old from nothing. That's right. And some people claim we can manage for them, um, but more often than not, it's just time that's going to produce all of the parts of these old ecosystems. So you're talking about the mosses and the fungi, um, huge logs on the forest floor, 
the old shrubs, the insect assemblage. There's, there's all parts to an old forest that's not just the big eucalypt towering over the top. So this is 70, 80 year old forest. This is the, yep. some of the 1939 regrowth here. They were big fires, weren't they, 39? Huge. So about 80% of the central highlands was impacted by the fires. Um, the 2009 fires, we've got um, sort of fire severity mapping and measurements that are almost to the metre accurate. Whereas from the 1939 fires, there's very much sort of handwritten documentation in old forestry notes and things talking about the different damage and the fire severity spread right across the landscape. But about 80% of the Central Highlands was impacted in some way. So mountain ash is killed by high severity fire. So they talk about a stand replacing wildfire where you have an existing green forest that might have multi-aged um, trees in it, some young, some old. You get a very high severity fire burn through and that'll kill all of those adult trees. They'll, those adult trees, if they're mature enough, will throw down a huge amount of seed um, into that ash bed that's, that's burnt in it along underneath those trees. And that's the perfect conditions for those mountain ash seedlings to germinate and regrow. So following the 2009 fires, about half of our monitoring plots here in the Central Highlands burnt. And so we were able to track um, the recovery and the germination of some of those seedlings at all different forest ages mm. and fire severities. So super interesting. Good science. So we've just crested the top of Mount St. Leonard, I'm guessing. That's right. So we're approaching one of our old growth monitoring sites here, which is just at the bottom of this gully below Mount St. Leonard Fire Tower. So you can see the huge girth of some of these trees, the buttressing mm. and everything already. Yeah. That's it's such a different shape, isn't it? The old tree, it starts to it starts to get a middle-aged spread. Exactly. <laughs> Down around the base. And you can see these. <laughs> so this is our monitoring site just here on the fire break. So this fire break was put in following the 1939 fires. And you can see when some of these huge mountain ash get competition removed from around them. Yes. So they've put this big 40 metre wide break in and there's no mid story or understory here. There's just the big trees. They've had no competition for nutrients and moisture and light. Very happy and trees. And so off they go compared <laughs> to everything around. Can we have a quick squeeze? Yeah. A little bit cooler up here. Suddenly the forest air, isn't it? It's a different quality of it is. different quality of oxygen. <laughs> what sort of height are we? So we'd be about 800 metres here, I think. Yeah. 850, something like that. Welcome to site 491. This is one of our long-term monitoring plots that we've yeah. got spread right across the Central Highlands. So we've got nearly 200 of these monitoring sites. They're all three hectares in size and we've been studying these since the 1980s when they were first established. Wow that's I mean that's that's serious work. It is. You're getting a bit of a picture now. Yes exactly <laughs> there we've definitely been busy for those those years. Professor David Lindenmeyer who I work for he's managed this ongoing since the 1980s when he first did his mm. PhD up here in the Central Highlands. So what do you measure? It started off as being in an look at looking at the trees. So we wanted to know 
where Leadbeater's possum was right across the landscape. Mm. And if Leadbeater's possum wasn't there, why was that? So what was the structure and influence of the forest on the presence or absence of Leadbeater's possum? Apart from their, their cuteness and rarity and significance, are they a good sort of canary in the coal mine species? They are. They definitely are. They exist in the mountain ash, so they've survived with fires for a long, long period of time. Mm. So they definitely can handle disturbance in the system. When a, a fire comes through, burns the old trees, they're all killed and you get really dense regrowth coming up. Yep. You get these massive old trees. If you think about these huge trees here, some of them sort of 10, 15 metres in circumference, these trees will have been killed and they will stand there as these huge sentinels, these sort of legacy trees, surrounded by this dense regrowth. Now, Leadbitter's possum comes in and excavates a hollow in those dead trees mm. and it feeds and lives on the insects and pollen and sap in the wattle and eucalypt regrowth. So if you're an owl, it's a terrible place to try and hunt in some of that really, really dense forest. So we find a lot of lead beaters existing in those systems. Right. But you need the old first. If there's a very young patch of forest that burns, you still get the dense crop of regenerating seedlings and wattle coming up, but you haven't got the houses. You haven't got the old trees that the mm. possums will live mm. in. And the bigger the tree, the longer they'll stand. So short skinny trees that are killed in a fire, they will fall quicker than huge big old fat trees. Okay. So the possums want the big old fat ones. So that's what we've got in a lot of the old growth forests. So you're measuring that tree growth? Yes. On each site, every single hollow tree is marked and mapped and measured over time. So we get sort of a health of the eucalypts assessment in some of the data that we have mm. but we also track the loss and decay of those trees out of the system over time so we've got 30 years of data on some of these trees which can wow. be 200 years old wow but we can tell you that tree number 14 over here it has a fire scar on the bottom that you can see so that's from... we will look at tree number 14 yeah. it's a it's a beaut this huge we call it a church door is an old fire scar from the 1939 fire that came through this area. So, so we the, were driving through 1939 regrowth coming up here, some yep. of those younger trees. And this, this, this pulled through. So this fire, when it hit this place, it's all about topography where, where fire's gonna burn its hottest. So we're in this beautiful wet gully. We've got rainforest in the mid-story and understory, and this tree's right on the edge of it. So 1939 mm. fire would have burnt and created this church door on the side, this fire scar. So this, it's buttressed at the bottom and, and, the, and the centre of that tree is, is yeah, the, the door there. And you can see the tree keeps falling down into that space and, the you know, you see that sort of fresh rotted out wood that's coming from the, the guts of this tree that keeps just trickling out of it. It's amazing. But so it keeps, it's, it's growing. It's, <laughs> it's still alive, so it's still got its feet in in a really good spot in and around this church yeah. door so it's still able to draw moisture and nutrients up through the outer part of the tree but the inner part that we can see here is definitely Weird. rotting out. But rotting out that means it's it's available for residents. Yes exactly so you can get bats roosting in here, possums, gliders, birds so these are the kind of size trees where we start to see hollows across this system not some of that the younger trees. Yeah. So this tree would be nearly 200 years old and you can see it's lost its top. So mountain ash grows at a metre a year for the first 30 years, we say, and then it almost gets too big for its own 
physiology. So they're massive things. So big, big storm. Big Take storms, wind, yeah. but even just the size. Uh, anything carrying that much weight that high up, you can see most of the treetops in this stand of old growth have been blown out and lost. So you can tell these have stopped their rapid growth for the first few years and they're in that real settling it's, in period. It's quite a sparse canopy too, isn't it, the mountain ash? It's, it's yeah. not like it just fills the sky. Exactly. So where we're standing here, that's a tree about five metres away from us and then the nearest tree is probably another 10 metres away, maybe, yeah. maybe 12 metres. So following the Black Saturday bushfires in 2009, we had some of our plots, they're a metre by a metre on the ground where we do seedling and germinant plots. One of those plots had 1,600 eucalypt seedlings <laughs> coming up in it. <laughs> so over that 200 years, the initial fire that created these trees that we're standing near, mm. so there's, there's two within 20 metres of where we are. Initially it was 1,600 in per metre so it has this growth and self-thinning. A fair bit of natural selection going on. Exactly. It's that race for light, nutrients, those kind of things. This is mm. why they grow so fast so quickly and why they're so prized for their timber value as well. It grows so fast and so quickly, competing for that light. So they go straight up and go as tall as they can as quickly as they can. Then when they've won that battle for the light and nutrients, that's when they really settle the branches start thickening out. They turn into these monstrous things that we've got here. Go on your tree, 14. You know this place. We're getting to know these forests pretty intimately. Yes, we are. They're some of the most studied forests anywhere. We've got information from all the different species, vegetation and birds and possums and gliders. So it's like a whole of forest monitoring program that we can feed information back to. What does the consensus of that data tell you about what a good idea it is, it is to, to, to log this forest? <laughs> yes, not very. On all Which is the thing that happens, we yes. need to say. Yes, exactly. They're such fast growing trees, they've always been prized for their timber. We're starting to get to a point now where this whole system is on its knees because we've been over-harvesting and we've sort of over-committed these forests for decades. What do we use that timber for from here? Uh, so here, it's about 85% of it goes paper pulp. So predominantly paper pulp is what comes out of these mountain ash forests here in the central highlands. And then the other 15% um, is predominantly pallets and other sort of low-value timber products. So it's not your fine furniture or flooring or anything like that. So we just leave a little pause to think about that. Yes, it's ridiculous thinking of turning this tree number 14 into some paper pulp, mm. but this is what we use it for. With all that knowledge, and I suspect the knowledge points to certain behaviours that are desirable for the health of the forest. Yes. <laughs> With all that that we know, um, we still look out at those trees the, the great survivors of 1939 and say, oh, turn you into paper. Yes, and that, that other side of the road where we're looking at now, you can see there's a, a map and a piece of paper on the side of that tree over there. Yeah. That's because that's a proposed logging coop. So they have a, a TRP, or the Timber Release Plan, where it's all of the sites available they, they for They put logging. that up there in case they get resident objections. Yes, that. pretty much. <laughs> well, they need to alert people what's going on there. And so this patch here, which is surrounded by a walking track on two sides, opposite this patch of really rare old growth forest here, mm. this is targeted for logging. So this is available to be logged um, according to the state government. 
And to look at that, I mean, if you, if you hadn't looked at the older forest behind us now as we look across the road, that to most city eyes, I guess, you think it's a beautiful bit of bush. Oh, it's, it's amazing. And it's so far down the track towards... Getting old. Getting old. So 70, 80 years... It's a head start we can't afford to lose. We, ne- we need mm. to let anything that's got to this age, we need to let it get to this next level, this old growth like this side of the road. And then leave it alone for even longer. It'd be delightful <laughs> if I had my way. That would be exactly it. So we've just gone through some reasonably recently logged country. Yeah, so this would be maybe 10 years old, 12 years old, something like that. It would have been clear, clear felled, yeah? Yes, this would have been one big clear fell logging coop with the road through the middle. So what, what, have, what have we got now? So it's just mountain ash and wattles, basically. There'll be some pomoderis and coria mixed through there as well. But essentially you can see quite a long way horizontally through this system because it's so simplified it's basically wattle and eucalypts competing for light and nutrients so off they go and then it's basically a wheat crop of those two things now so both sides of the road there's no large old trees left these two patches either side of the road there's going to be no hollows here for 150 years so therefore no diversity animal wise nowhere for the bigger things to live possums and gliders and birds those kind of things so things will be able to forage here and some birds will be able to nest here small mammals like antichinus and bush rats those kind of things can exist here but you lose all of those other species like your lead beaters possum and greater gliders yellow belly gliders so if this was a fire mimicking this regrowth there would be all of those big old trees would have been killed so you'd get these huge big trunks embedded through this forest system. So even just one old tree in here would be enough to provide hollows for some animals to use. But we need every little stepping stone, large old tree that we have. Any tree with a hollow in it now is precious in this system. That's the bottom line. Lachlan McBurney there, my guide in the Victorian Central Highlands. Getting in touch with ABC RN is easy. Join the conversation live using the ABC Listen app's call and text features.